Hi. I'm going to try and make this short and concise, more food for thought than an actual typical lengthy sermon. And I really just wanted to kind of uh, get this on my website just as a precursor to uh, everything else I'm trying to get done. And I find this issue of Trinity is a great place to start because I think it's important as believers we really know who it is that we're worshiping, who it is, this great God that we're supposed to come to believe in. And I find that growing up in church that there is, it's not that there's just confusion, it's just that people are actually just have no real understanding of concept of who they're talking about when they say God. And I just thought it's time for me to actually maybe put down what God has been teaching me all these years, because to me this is an issue that's been very close to my heart. Now, I just imagine this for a second, that if you were just standing around somewhere and somebody came up to you and uh, started talking to you and you found out their name and and they called themselves by Bob, and then you're still talking to them and all of a sudden, two minutes later, they said that their name was Bill. And it, they actually were just talking like they're a completely different person. And now you're still talking to them and a few minutes later again, they're calling themselves John. And um, like they're actually that person. Now, I think by this point, you'd start to think that there's something funny going on here. And I think anyone in with any common sense would think this guy's crazy or as the world would say schizophrenic or multiple personality disorder and and I just think the same thing it's like when we're talking about God this Trinitarian theory that we've come up with just to fight off heresy is trying to say that our God is one God who is eternally eternally indivisible as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And just to back that up for a minute, I did some research going to different uh, websites of different denominations. And I'm not going to name them here, but I'm just going to read out a little bit of what they said. And these are mainstream denominations. And one of them says, There is only one and only one living and true God. The eternal triune God reveals himself to us as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with distinct personal attributes but without division of nature, essence, or being. Christ is the eternal Son of God. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, fully divine. And yet another one says, In one God, eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And another one says, the Godhead exists eternally in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one God, having the same nature, attributes, and are worthy of the same homage, confidence, and obedience. And yet another one is saying, we recognize the Holy Spirit as the third member of the Godhead. I just put that in there just to show another version of it. But to me, talking to believers for years and finding out what they believe, everybody comes up with these theories. Oh, God, it's it's just like an egg. You know, you have the hard outer shell and then the white and then the yolk. And so, yet yeah, it's all just one egg. And you know what? Trying to 
figure out the Trinity, these are the kind of only options that we have. And that therein lies the problem. Because we're trying to believe what Scripture says to Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord our God is one. And I think that's been the problem. We've been trying to say that this one is just one indivisible in a sense, but at the same time divisible into three different, not three different gods, but three different beings of the same God. <laughs> trying to wrap your head around that makes no sense because the theory makes no sense. Now, if you actually look at what this theory is saying, it's actually saying there's one and one true God eternally existing or indivisible in three persons. Now, I think anyone who reads scripture never reads that in scripture. It doesn't say anywhere in scripture that there's one God eternally indivisible into three persons. Scripture just talks plainly about God when it's referring to the Father, when it's referring to the Son, when it's referring to the Holy Spirit. And this theorizing of trying to make him one God, well, what is that actually saying? If you actually look at this, the true God then would be that one God who is eternally indivisible into the three. And that in itself makes no sense. It's ludicrous. Because scripture clearly points to God the Father as being God. It clearly says His Holy Spirit. So to me that is saying the Holy Spirit is God the Father's Holy Spirit. And when it's referring to the Son, it's saying the Son of who? God. Who's God? God the Father. So if it's he's the Son of God the Father, well then, he's the Son. Yet Trinitarian doctrine is still trying to say there's this one God who is eternally indivisible into Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So again, it makes no sense. They're not God in just some sort of an honorary way. He's not an honorary Father and an honorary Son and an honorary Holy Spirit. What's the point? What point would it be for one God to be eternally indivisible into three different persons? It doesn't actually make any sense. And again, that God who did this would be the true God. And getting into Scripture again, what I'd like to start with is actually establishing God the Father's authority. And that's where it has to begin. And Christ himself actually established God the Father's authority during his ministry on the earth. And in certain parts of John, I think it's one of the, the, the best books to really get into when it comes into a relationship aspect of who God is. In Christ, in John chapter 5, he was trying to relate this part of God. And he said in verse 24, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, the time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, 
so he is granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. And what he's saying in this, which is, I think, a very important teaching, is that the Father has life in himself. The Father grants authority. He's the one who gave authority to his Son. Now, if this Trinitarian dogma is correct, well then, it would all be in pretense. It would be pointless. Because he would already have the authority. Because he's the same God, indivisible. Scripture would be meaningless then, because why would it say the Father granted authority? There would be no purpose, no point for him to even do that. Because, again, you're getting back to this theory where they're already eternally indivisible. That means they already shared all power, they shared all authority, they share everything. There would be no purpose in the Father granting the Son anything, sharing anything with the Son, because they're all one being anyway. And that's just this nature of this theory that it actually makes no sense, and it's taking away the authority that the Father has as God. Now when we look again in Scripture, we're seeing clear evidence where Christ says this again. And it's again getting into the oneness. How are they one? And this, there's some confusion in this. But again, in the book of John, chapter 10, from verse 25, Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one who can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. Which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any of these replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own, and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy, because I said, I am God's son. Do not believe me unless I do my, what my father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles, that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the father. And again, this is showing a clear difference between the father and the son. The son himself is saying that the father set him apart as his very own and sent him into the world. He didn't say that they were eternally the same God or from the same God. He's clearly saying the Father is that God. He is the Son, but because of their oneness, however they're one, there's an area that we don't even understand. However they are one, that's why he can still be called God. 
but there's actually more clarity on that later on. I'll get into that in Hebrews about the true reason why we can call Jesus God. He again says in John chapter 17, and this is pretty well, to me, the nail in the coffin of Trinitarian theory, which says one God eternally indivisible. In John chapter 17, Jesus himself said, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now in verse 3, this is the important verse. It says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That in itself right there is amazing. Christ himself is declaring that eternal life is knowing you. Remember, he's talking to the Father. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, I don't know how much clearer Scripture needs to get than that. The problem here is, how is Christ God? I think we've established, very basically here, but again, very clearly, because of the Word of God, and as Christ said, Scripture cannot be broken. If it's there, it's there. And no matter how much Trinitarian doctrine likes to dance around these things, saying that there's one God eternally indivisible, well, you know what? Scripture doesn't say that. It clearly says there's one God. Christ himself clearly said there's one and only true God. And that's God the Father. Now, here's the interesting thing. In Hebrews chapter 1, God the Father now starts talking. And it's actually a really amazing chapter. And I'm just going to talk from parts of the chapter here and then try and explain it. And it goes through from verse 5, where God is speaking again. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Now that's amazing. This is God the Father saying it, and he's saying, brings his firstborn into the world. Now we have to remember that Christ already existed, obviously before creation. In other parts of scripture, in uh, Colossians, it mentions again, talks about his greatness. And uh, it's talking about how all the universe, all of creation, everything that exists was created through Christ. So somehow God the Father created all things through his Son. And this is saying there came a point in time where God says, let all God's angels worship him. By stating that, it's saying it wasn't happening before then. And this is where I'm saying we, have, we need to take out 
our glasses that are so biased to a particular doctrine or viewpoint or to some denominational ideology because this is the word of God. This is God himself now speaking. And a little before that passage, if you want to get into it, it's right from the beginning in chapter 1. It says, In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory. Who's God? And the exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Who's the majesty in heaven? So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. I find that even very interesting. Why scripture would even need to mention that? Why would it have to state that he became as much superior to the angels? And also saying that his name, which he inherited, is superior to theirs. It's quite interesting, actually. And again, when it's stating, let all God's angels worship him, it is saying that it came a point when that happened. And again, as we continue on reading, in speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire. Now, this is God speaking. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. This is amazing. So now God the Father is saying, Your throne, O God. Your throne, O God. So does, what does that mean? That Christ is the same as him? For a minute there, you might think that, and again, we're getting back to that original Trinity doctrine. But wait a minute. Just keep reading that passage. You have, loved wicked, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. That's amazing. It says, therefore, God, your God. There's another nail in the coffin of Trinity doctrine. Eternally indivisible is one God. Here it's God the Father's Again, speaking about his son. That's why we can call Christ God. Right there. Because God the Father, who is the majesty in heaven, he's the one who sits on the throne, whose right hand Christ sits at, is declaring these things. There's nobody above him. He is all authority. He is the one that has the final authority in everything. And he's declaring now, this is my son. He's declaring now, he is God. That's why we can call him God. Not for any other reason, because everything comes from God the Father. When he is now declared, let all God's angels worship him, guess what? The angels will be worshiping his son. When he is now declared that your throne, O God, now he is stating, this son is God. But now, to again establish his own authority over everything, God the Father is saying, therefore God your God. 
to his son, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. What's the oil of joy? That's the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? Who is he the Holy Spirit of? God. Who is God? Now, every time you... This is the problem. This is the problem. When I was maturing in Christ for those early years, every time you're thinking the word God, you're trying to put in this puzzle of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. No. Scripture is actually saying God the Father. And when you start understanding that, everything starts making sense. It starts becoming clear that he's God. Christ is his son. Let them be that. We don't need to make things up. What we don't understand, we don't understand. But stop trying to make up an understanding. Christ himself, this is another amazing chapter. Revelation, chapter 1, when he appears to John. It was uh, another one of those verses to me that are again declaring the same thing in Hebrews chapter 1. And when Christ appears to John, he declares the same thing again. It's written here actually that to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Now John, writing by the Holy Spirit, has again declared this. To serve his God and Father. Now, again, if the Trinitarian doctrine of eternally indivisible everything in the word when it's talking about god would just be pretentious it would be nonsense because they're all the same it would make no difference the father would have no real authority the son would have no real authority the holy spirit would have no real authority or glory or anything because they're all the same they're all that same one indivisible god but yet scripture is declaring all over that no all authority is the father's the father anointed his son he gave him authority he granted him authority christ is always saying i received from the father christ is saying he was sent the word of god is saying he was a Appointed by who? God the Father. And Christ himself kept saying, My God and my Father. That in itself is amazing. That in itself, again, to me, if Christ is calling God the Father my God, guess what? That is who he is. This is scripture. It cannot be broken. Trinitarian doctrine says no, it doesn't say that. According to Trinitarian doctrine, he cannot say that. Because they're the same. Saying my God is denoting a higher authority. And it is. No matter how much you want to dance around that fact, it is stating there is a higher authority than me, even though they're equal in some way, even though he has a spirit of God without limit, which again is denoting that he is God. 
he is still stating my God. Which is denoting that there is the Father God above him from whom everything comes. The Son couldn't be the Son without the Father. The Father could still be the Father without the Son, but the Son couldn't be the Son without the Father. Everything came from him. And that's what this whole creation is about. It was all made through his Son. God the Father wanted his Son to be the firstborn over everything and to have that supreme authority over everything. And he's done that. And herein lies the other problem, which I know the Trinitarians will try to say, well, you're advocating some kind of pluralistic gods. You know what? I'm saying leave it where Scripture leaves it. You don't need to say anything more than what I'm saying or anything less. I'm not going to say I fully understand. I'm not going to say I don't understand. This is what God made clear to me, and this is what to me is clear from Scripture. However he exists, you know what? That's how he exists. However he chooses to be, that's how he chooses to be. And But no one can show me from Scripture where they're one indivisible God. It doesn't say that. It clearly grants all authority to the Father. The Father grants all authority to the Son after his resurrection because of his sacrifice. He said, I received everything from the Father. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And by stating that, is stating that it wasn't there until the Father gave it to him. Trinitarian doctrine doesn't say that. According to Trinitarian doctrine, it was already there from the beginning. And again, if it was already there from the beginning, all of this would just be in pretense. But if you know God and his character and nature, he does not do things in pretense. He's not doing this in some symbolic manner. He is God the Father. And Christ is his one and only Son. However the Holy Spirit is, you know what? He's the Holy Spirit of God. There's actually um, an interesting uh, chapter in Revelation, chapter 4, where a vision of heaven is given again. And where's, is, where's the throne for the Holy Spirit? It doesn't say that there's a throne for the Holy Spirit, because it's just referring to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit. But in chapter 4, verse 5, it says, From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Or I like what it says below in because it puts a little caption in A. So when you look down and read, it says also, or the sevenfold spirit. So whether it's seven spirits or sevenfold spirit of God, there again is a mystery to understanding the spirit of God. Somehow the spirit of God exists in this manner. And again, talking about the fullness of the deity, which is mentioned in throughout Scripture, how Christ has the fullness of the deity living in him. We read in chapter 5, when Christ is shown as the Lamb, it's talking about how this Spirit of God, which is sevenfold, or seven spirits, is in him. Then I saw a Lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. 
he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. The seven spirits of God. Who's God? God the Father. Or it says it's the sevenfold spirit. So, however, they've interpreted this, they've interpreted it, but to me it's clear that's representing the Holy Spirit and that's representing the Holy Spirit of God indwelling Christ in fullness. So somehow God the Father can still be there on the throne in this form which Revelation 4 shows him as. It said, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven, with someone sitting on it. Who is that someone? And the one that who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were twenty-four other thrones, and seated on them were twenty-four elders. Now, this throne, who's sitting there? We read in chapter 5, which clarifies it, when Christ is shown as the Lamb. He came, in verse 7, it says, He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So again, Christ is coming and taking the scroll from God the Father. There is nothing above God the Father. He is God Almighty. The Son sits at His right hand. And to me, that's what needs to be established. The authority of God the Father, so we can understand where the Son comes from and where His authority comes from. Everything comes from God the Father. Not this imaginary trinity of some God who's eternally indivisible into the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which makes absolutely no sense in its utter confusion. Because that's not what Scripture is saying. Scripture is saying the top authority is God the Father. Christ himself said it in Scripture. And this is what we need to understand. The things for salvation is that he's one and God's one and only Son. He left heaven. He came down to the earth, entered the body of a woman, and God prepared a body for him. And that's the body that was sacrificed for us on the cross, where he also shed his blood to give us a new covenant. To me, that's salvation, believing these things about who God's Son is. The rest of it, if we don't clearly understand it, you know what? We don't clearly understand it, but that doesn't change our salvation. Salvation is believing that God sent his one and only Son to die for us, to take away our sins, to give us a new covenant that he's raised from the dead. So let's just leave certain things where we need to leave it, but let's also be mature in certain things where we need to be mature in it. If we don't understand how they're one, well, let's not make it up. Christ actually said, in, again in John chapter 17, when, in that same passage where he's, where he's talking about God the Father and his authority, he also mentioned a little thing about being one.
In verse 11, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. So that they may be one as we are one. And again, in verse 20, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one, as we are one. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So by saying that, is he saying that we're a part of the Trinity the way they are? Because by Trinitarian dogma, guess what? That's what it would be. But that's not what Christ is saying. There's a way that they are one, that we can also be one. That we can be one with them because they're in us. And why should he even say they? Because Christ made it clear that they will come and make their home in us. And however they're one, that's how they're one. We don't understand it, but here is giving a little reflection that we can actually be one as they are one. This is the word of God, and scripture cannot be broken. So to me, what I'm just trying to convey in all this, just quickly, because I haven't gotten into all the scriptures that are talking about God the Father, all the scriptures that are talking about God the Son, all the scriptures that are talking about the Holy Spirit of God, but just quickly trying to recap that all authority is still from God the Father. He granted, he appointed, he anointed, he gave, Christ received from the Father everything that he has. And that's what the Word of God says. And again, if people want to be contentious about this, we read in the book of Corinthians that... Um, Everything, again, was given to the Son, but it also clarifies that a bit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm just going to read from verse 20. For Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ, the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, then, then the end will come, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. This is talking about the thousand-year reign of Christ. And after that thousand-year reign is over, he is going to hand everything over to God the Father. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject 
to him who put everything under him, so that God, God who? The Father, may be all in all. And again, here's another nail in Trinitarian dogma. God put everything under Christ. And scripture here is declaring that it is clear this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him. After the thousand year reign of Christ, what happens? This entire creation disappears. God's going to wrap it up and he's going to make a new creation. It's called the kingdom of righteousness, the new heaven and the new earth. That's when God the Father, God himself, will be with us forever. Until then, Christ is going to come and reign for a thousand years on this present earth. After that, it all disappears. And God the Father himself will create a new heavens and a new earth. And he himself will be there among us. Now we, again, we don't understand how God exists. We don't understand the nature of his spirit. There's some reflection of it there. But as Moses said, you know, these things, the revealed things belong to us and our children. But the hidden things belong to God. So there's still things that are hidden, that, but he reveals. Remember Paul, the apostle, scripture says he was taken up to the third heaven. He saw things or he heard things that he wasn't even permitted to tell us. Christ said, if you, if you won't believe these earthly things, how will you believe heavenly things? And so to me, again, it's just getting back. Once you understand and realize who your God is, once you get away from that confusion of Trinity doctrine, trying to throw Trinity every time you read God, trying to make it God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. No, when you read God and the Son isn't mentioned, it's clearly talking about the Father. And that's where I'd like to leave it. Just uh, food for thought. And again, please don't read into my words too much because I know people are going to, after this, just start putting words in my mouth that I haven't spoken because for the longest time I didn't want to talk about this because I realized that the church's doctrine on this is just like evolutionists. <laughs> Once you start talking in evolution, all of a sudden, no, no, you're a heretic. You don't believe evolution? Come on, seriously. And I find that Trinity theory is the same way as evolutionary theory. It's a theory. It's not fact. But look at scripture for what it is. We don't need to theorize actually something that is so out there. He's God the Father. When you start seeing him as God the Father, where all authority comes from, then it actually starts making more sense that Christ is the Son. Isaiah chapter 6 Isaiah saw Jesus' glory, Scripture says. So it establishes that, you know what? He was still the one and only Son of God. He's not just some angel or some being that's nothing. He is the one and only. Whatever the Father is, so is the Son. And that's amazing. But at the same time, don't take away from the Father's authority. Because the Word of God is very clear. The Son is obedient to the Father. He received everything from the Father. And the Father is one that granted him everything and put him above everything. It wasn't always there eternally, indivisible. It came into being when God established that authority.
And again, that's the word of God. Not my words. That's the word of God. Just see it for what it is. Take off those glasses that skew it and bias it and just look at it for what it is. And I think it will start making more sense. And when I did that years ago in the 90s, all of a sudden, it's like everything made much more sense. And to me, this is where, again, because of Trinitarian strongholds in the church ever since the apostles left. The apostles never believed this, by the way. They just believed in one God, the Father, one Lord, Jesus Christ, and one Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So once this Trinitarian dogma of one God eternally indivisible came into existence hundreds of years later, to me that's where these cults started developing. Because there were men who were reading and understanding that, wait a minute, some things don't make sense here. But instead of having it revealed by God, the true understanding, they kind of went off on a lot of different tangents and really got off track with theories and that's how this duality theory and oneness and all these things came about. I don't blame those people because I think a lot of them started off right and wanting to follow the word of God right, but they just ended up along the wrong track in theory. But my hope is that I'm going to try and make things clearer for people and people who have that kind of confusion you know, if you accept what I'm trying to say, you accept it. If not, then uh, go where you need to go. Be where you need to be. Believe what you need to believe. But to me, this is a much clearer way of looking at God, not worrying about the rest of it. Because the rest of it, you know what? It doesn't have anything to hinder or take away your salvation. Its salvation is through believing in the one and only Son. And by believing in Him, you still have the Father. So to me, that's what's important. But God bless you. I'll try and maybe talk on this later again and, and get more into God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which again, there's some interesting verses you might want to uh, think about, contemplate, reflect on the difference between soul and spirit, which is also very interesting where God says in a scripture, <laughs> my soul hates. So it's interesting when you think about it, God having a soul. So what is the soul? What is the spirit? How does he exist? It's quite interesting, actually, and dwelling into that. And a little secret into that is, think about when we're thinking in this body. We have a conscience, or we're thinking in our minds, our thoughts are there. What's controlling all that? How can the spirit have thoughts? Where does that come from? The essence of your very existence, what is it? So that might give you a little bit more insight into the soul. And with that, God bless you. Hope that God will reveal himself to you. Because that's also very important, as it says in Ephesians. May he give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you can know him better. And that says the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you can know him better, that you may know him better. God bless.